If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and host of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices about marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life, everybody. We are so excited to be here with you. We are going to share our weekly commemorations that y'all keep sending in that just they just keep getting better and better. And we're going to share a really great conversation we had with Natasha Daniels, an expert in anxiety, about how to recognize anxiety in yourself and your children and how to deal with it. And we will end, as always, with something to keep you inspired this week. But our commemorations do that for me also. So we'll start with Janice today. They're so inspiring. Janice writes, I've been waiting a long time to write this because it was a long time coming. Last November, I signed up for my first marathon up in Susanville, California. Yesterday, I actually finished the race in six hours, 38 minutes, and 38 seconds. Hooray, Janice! I'm not a natural runner, and I'm not entirely sure when completing a marathon became something I wanted to do, but last year, everything changed. My dad died right before Christmas at the age of 63, and in late November, as I could see him slipping away, I became fearful for my health. I knew I needed to make some changes and decided that it was time to run a marathon. I trained for six months and I finished. It was quite a journey from then to now. One of my favorite parts of my runs were listening to your podcast. You ladies have no idea how many miles you rode along with me. Your deep conversation, righteous fury, and nuanced point of view was a distraction from my tired legs and racing heart, and I thank you so much. I also connected with a few different running groups and made so many amazing new friends. It was so scary getting out there with other people, but I'm so glad I did. When I crossed the finish line, I was full of feelings, the joy of finishing, pain in my body, pride in my hard work and resilience, and sadness that my dad wasn't here to share it with me. I feel thankful for my husband who supported me and committed completely to this goal. A year ago, I felt so powerless and sad. Now I feel strong and powerful. I want to continue to challenge myself and do hard things. Thanks again for the podcast. They bring me so much joy and they help me process everything going on right now. I so appreciate you both. Janice, how generous of you to include us, first of all, in this commemoration and how wonderful that you did this. I love pain in my body, but pride in my hard work and resilience. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. It brings tears to my eyes. That's so good. I'm so so proud of you, Janice, and you need to be proud of yourself. That's awesome. We also wanted to share a commemoration from Kristen. 
I graduated from college a few years ago, and since then, I feel like I've had trouble finding my footing in adult life. Don't get me wrong, there have been countless blessings along the way, including getting married to my college sweetheart and the love of my life. But individually, I've really struggled with personal and professional confidence in a way that I never did previously. Grad school, in particular, really messed with my head, and I was constantly finding anxieties and panic over feeling like I had different perspectives and approaches than everyone else and worrying about what I had to contribute. I graduated from grad school this spring and was thrown into the job search, which felt like more of the same, only this time with higher stakes. I wrestled all the time with the vulnerability and identity crisis that is the post-grad school job search process. I did a lot of networking as part of that, and I was shocked and swayed by how many strangers felt comfortable telling me exactly what they thought I should do with my personal and professional life during a 30-minute phone call. It really messed with my head. This all came to a head for me in the last few months, and it made me realize that I needed to get clear on who I am and stick by that, regardless of the many and often contradictory voices that may seek to push you in different directions, often unwittingly seeking to remake you in their own image based on their own experiences. And this is where your podcast has meant the world to me. Hearing two women every week simply and unapologetically talking about their thoughts and opinions, their experiences have been remarkably reassuring and therapeutic. For a long time, I felt the only way I could have an opinion or have something to contribute is if I'm a certified expert on it, validated by other more important or more confident people around me. To hear two informed, principled women who are processing the world's events not like pundits or professors, not for grandstanding or achievement or fitting in, but in genuine pursuit of truth and love has been such a joy, and I particularly love that I often hear perspectives on your show— that I don't hear anywhere else, which makes me feel like I too can be an independent thinker in my own often echo-chambered circles. It also encourages me and my perspectives that we should bring our whole selves to every aspect of our lives, personal and professional, and recognize that when everyone does that, the world is a kinder and more truth-seeking place. So I'm finally starting my new job in the next couple of weeks. It is my dream job in many respects, even though it's different from where many of my grad school classmates ended up. That is a big step, but even more so, I would like to commemorate the commitment I am making in this next phase of my life to be more fully who I think God created me to be. I don't ever want to stop learning, being humble, acknowledging my mistakes, making amends to people I hurt, seeking feedback and growing. But I do want to learn I but I do want to learn to better stand behind my own voice, my own ideas and my own contributions, particularly as a woman in the workplace, and not apologize for taking up space in the world and to create space for others to do the same. Much love to you both and please keep doing what you're doing. In sisterhood, Kristen Oh man, I'm a little I'm a little crying right now. I'm I'm mainly crying right now. I love that Kristen recognizes that confidence is a gift to other people because when you show up as yourself, it tells other people they can show up as themselves. This is so awesome, Kristen. Thank you for sharing it with us. We also heard from Amy in what this is a high bar, but this might be my favorite commemoration we've received so far. Not that we rank them, but I love this. Amy says, this isn't a commemoration for me, but for my husband. He was recently asked to moderate a panel at a conference. It would be a big deal as the panel would include presidents and CEOs in his industry, all of whom are male and white. He let the organizers know he would be happy to do it, but only if they first ask and were unable to find a woman and or person of color to do it. He insisted that they needed a variety of perspectives. He worried he'd risk his standing taking this stance, but felt strongly it was the right thing to do. I want to commemorate standing up for your beliefs, even in small ways, because the small ways are how we'll bring about change. He doesn't listen to podcasts, but I'm so proud of him and think this should be shared. I cried when he told me. Thanks, as always, for what you do. Amy and Amy's husband, you're doing awesome. Is it weird to say I want to kiss Amy's husband on the mouth? That's probably weird, but that's just how I feel right now. That's amazing. It is amazing. Thank you, Amy's husband, for doing that. That is such Mm -hmm. a fine example that you're setting for other people. 
We appreciate you. We see you. We appreciate you. We need more of you. Word. All right, we got a commemoration from Chelsea. My name is Chelsea, and I live in Boulder, Colorado. I just wanted to write in celebration of how I spent my morning. I went canvassing and knocking on doors for two candidates I really support as part of Moms Demand Action. As an introvert who super hates talking to new people, it was way outside my comfort zone, especially because no one I knew was able to come with me. I was anxious all week about going, but after the Kavanaugh hearings and everything else going on, I was just tired of being mad and knew I needed to do something. Despite my nerves, it ended up being an empowering, fun, and I hope impactful experience. I was partnered with another woman my age in our mid-20s, and we bonded as we walked from door to door. And I ended up really enjoying talking to my neighbors and hearing their thoughts, even when I disagreed. I am so thankful that I got over my fears and decided to volunteer. I no longer feel quite so powerless when I look at the news, and I just wanted to share, especially since most of my family are Trump supporters and would be appalled to know that I spent my morning canvassing for Democratic candidates. Thanks for the space to share these little victories. Love both podcasts. Keep up the good work. Chelsea. You are rocking it. And this is what I tell people about canvassing. You are outside in the sunshine talking to other human beings. These are two like, and walking. These are like three of scientifically proven mood elevators <laughs> because you're engaging with human beings. You're outside and you're moving your body. That's why people are like, oh, is it terrible when you knocked on doors for your campaign? I'm like, no, it's fun. It's actually really fun to be out there. So way to go, Chelsea. Spread the word that is not near as intimidating as people think it is and that it can be a really positive experience. That's so awesome. We also heard from an anonymous source about a commemoration. I wanted to share a totally usually not worthy of commemorating commemoration. I made an addition to my cheaper than therapy list. I've been to therapy a few times in my life, and I really do find it enormously beneficial. But I now don't choose to make room for it in my budget. So I'm working to find some things that are cheaper than therapy. A few have been hot coffee in a cafe with snow outside the window, seasonally limited. Painting with watercolors, <laughs> indoor rock climbing, reading on a picnic blanket in a park. My newest addition is Sarah inspired. Going to see a movie by myself in theaters without a bra. But Woo-hoo! here's the extra delight. Old black and white movies being shown in theaters is a special release. I just went and saw Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, a 1939 film in a movie theater. It was great. I've always loved old movies, but never thought to check out these special release events that theaters do. Not only did it feel like a little step outside this time and place, it was a total political breath of fresh air. Thanks, and I hope other listeners will seek out the movie if they haven't seen it. Oh, that's so fun. I wish they would do that at my theater. I'm super jealous. We had one last anonymous commemoration. My celebration is my first week off of medical birth control. I have only had adverse effects to birth control and feel so liberated to not be on it any longer. I started with birth control in college to ward off my terrible, horrible, no good vomit inducing cramps and bleeding that made me faint. After several years on the pill, I started having migraines that I eventually discovered were related to that lovely pill. So I switched to an IUD with hopes of lighter periods and less migraines. What that little device gave me was fibroids and sharp pelvic pains. After three years of suffering through, my husband and I decided it's time to get rid of birth control. I will never go back. Although it is a good fit for many, the side effects outweigh the benefits. I am so excited to no longer be tied down to a pill or have a foreign object floating around inside of me. Hip, hip, hooray. I feel that, girl. I'm all about this commemoration. I always say I am the weirdest feminist on planet Earth because I'm like, everybody should be able to have birth control, but it is the devil and no one should take it. Because, oh man, it just—it's people suffer under this stuff so badly, and I'm so glad she's free of it. But again, if it—if there are people that it helps, I'm not—I'm not. If you want to commemorate that birth control saved your life, we will read that too. I'm just really happy for this person. Yes, I agree. I feel the same way about birth control. I'm glad that it is available, and most of the time, it's not good for you. Mm-hmm. 
Next up, we are going to share our conversation with Natasha Daniels about anxiety, particularly in children. But I think there is really good advice here for adults who are dealing with anxiety as well. Yeah, it really helped me. And I'm, I'm not, it's not a thing I'm thinking about with my own kids, but she really, really helped me think about some of my own anxiety. So we can't wait to share this conversation with you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we are so happy to be here with Natasha Daniels. She is an author, trained child therapist, and counselor, and the creator of anxious toddlers to teens.com. And we reached out to her because we had several listeners say, Hey, you need to talk to Natasha. She was incredibly instrumental in helping me. And we really wanted to have you on the show because I think what our listeners said and what I think is something a lot of people struggle with, which is sort of the line between diagnosable issues and regular development and when to reach out for help and when you need outside help and all these things. So we want to dive into that stuff with you. But first, tell tell our listeners about yourself. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. It's so nice to be on here. Um, I am a child therapist. I specialize in anxiety and OCD. And I'm also a mom to three anxious kids. So I kind of live and breathe it. And um, I'm the creator of anxious toddlers to teens.com, which is a website that supports parents who are raising anxious kids. Well, tell us, can you just start off by helping us define these terms? What does it mean to have an anxious kid? And at what point do we involve professionals when we have an anxious kid? Um, you know, I think I think it's a little gray. A lot of people have an anxious temperament and you know, then that's, that can be typical in development. And there's different things that kids get anxious about in different developmental phases. But, like, separation, like separation anxiety, like that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and so you've got the separation anxiety when they're really, really little and you got the fear of pooping, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then you got first day of school, you know, so you have like these and afraid of the dark and afraid of monsters. Like, so there are like very common anxieties that kids have and, that parents can navigate through without typically being too big of a problem. I think it becomes a bigger issue when it's starting to impact their daily life. So you see it like across the board. They can't do things that they would love to do because of their anxiety. They can't sleep. They can't eat. You know, like it's affecting so many layers of their life. That's when you have a problem. And I think we have a very pop culture understanding of OCD. Can you help us have a more nuanced understanding of what OCD means? Yeah, I think nobody understands OCD and it's so <laughs> upsetting because, it, it, you know, it's you see all these memes out there that it's about cleanliness oh, or germs so or organization. And it really, that's such a small component of OCD. OCD is really, if I was just to kind of summarize it, is having an obsessive thought or like an intrusive thought, a thought that is so, so upsetting and having to do or avoid something to get some relief. 
that's it. So it could be anything. It could be an obsessive thought of, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad kid. Um, I need to confess to my mom. Mom, I think that I might do something bad. I think something bad happened. I think I did blah, blah, blah. And then the parent says, oh, honey, don't worry about it. Um, That was like two years ago. And then the child feels relief, but that's a compulsion. Nobody would think that's OCD, but that's moral OCD. I have never heard the expression moral OCD. I'm going to have to sit and think about that for a minute. (laughs) I think think intrusive thought is like a really good way to categorize it and to help people think beyond the sort of that, like you said, because we use OCD so flippantly to truly almost interchangeably with sort of like type A and you hear people use those very um, informally, I think, to describe adult behaviors in particular. But, you know, I, intrusive thought I when I took the bar because I was in such under such extreme stress, I had intrusive thoughts. And I mean, I thought especially when you first have intrusive thoughts, if you're not telling anyone and if you have never had experienced that before, it is so disorienting and upsetting. And then the the sort of nature of the beast is you're like, well, if I tell anyone that'll because they're, it, they're, it's not like you're having intrusive thoughts like I'm awesome. I'm doing a great job. <laughs> Very shame driven right. intrusive thoughts. And so you don't want to share them with anyone. And that makes them so upset. And it's just this it's. I was, it was a very upsetting spiral to me. I had like a a newborn baby and I was taking the bar. And so it's not surprising that it happened. But like once I, once I heard somebody categorize it as in, it's, it's one of the few, I think, sort of behavioral problems that the word very well describes it. Like you just feel like there's something barreling into your mind. You cannot stop. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, Part of OCD is not wanting to tell anyone about it because it makes mm-hmm. you feel crazy. Mm-hmm. And then you you think that um, it's not OCD. You're just having these crazy thoughts and it's all about doubt. So it's it's a scary thing to go through for sure. And it, I can't imagine, you know, it was so disorienting and scary as an adult. I can't fathom what that would be for like a toddler or an even late elementary school kid. And I, so tell me, do you think that anxiety, particularly like diagnosable, um, in need of outside help, anxiety and, um, those types of OCD is on the rise. Cause we hear that, we hear that a lot sort of in pop culture. This is a thing that's becoming increasingly a problem. Do you think it's rising or do you think we're just becoming more aware and better able to deal with it? What do you think's going on? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I think our awareness is definitely getting higher. So it's, it's hard to maybe say, because I think that we're talking more about it. We have ways to talk about it because back in my day, we didn't have a computer, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, And I know I was an anxious kid. I mean, I completely would have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, but it was kind of like, get into the station wagon and get to school, you know, don't buckle up because we don't do that. You know? So it was like, (laughs) we just didn't talk about those things, but it it was there. So I, I, I feel like it's always been there. I don't know if it's on the rise, but I think with technology, maybe there's an increase in anxiety because it brings so many elements of anxiety, but also there's more communication about it. Mm-hmm. So I can say to you over there in Australia, oh my gosh, your kid's doing that too? Right. What's that about? So there's there's a huge learning going on, which is great. How do you help parents understand ways to be good observers of their kids to know what kinds of support their kids need around, around 
regular anxiety and anxiety that is starting to affect their daily lives? Anxiety likes to creep in really slowly. Um, It doesn't want to be noticed. And a lot of times it's not noticed until it's been around for quite a while. So instead of looking for the really obvious anxious stuff, like, um, you know, afraid of your shadow and, you know, having panic, you want to look for some of the subtle things. So when your child is wanting, not wanting to do stuff that they normally would do, you want to dive into that. Don't just assume it's because it's boring or because they have something better to do. Like I always ask, well, you know, what's the worst part about that? Why don't you want to go there? You know, so you want to look for patterns when your child's avoiding something or if they're doing something that seems maybe a little bit above and beyond what a typical kid would be doing, like, you know, bringing their bear, you know, everywhere they go and they're, they're 12 or 13, you know, you just want to look at some things that are happening that might indicate some anxiety. How do you, I think what's so difficult about this, you know, I'm even dealing with this with one of my sons and we're, t- we're looking at maybe an ADHD diagnosis. And I think we're, we've gotten so much better about thinking about all these things on a spectrum, right? It's not as if we, I mean, I think we still look, we all Google symptoms and we want a checklist and then we want an easy answer. But I do think we have increasingly understood particularly mental and behavioral things as a spectrum. You know, we talk about autism as a spectrum and we talk about like, it's, it's never as easy as you're just going to do a checklist. Like some children might just barely, you know, be on the lighter side of some of these symptoms, or maybe you're not sure you're you're just not sure if this is typical behavior or if this is past, past the point into, to, needing help and needing to look for outside interventions. And I think that's particularly difficult when you're talking about medication. How do you advise parents who are standing along the spectrum and trying to figure out where their child falls? You know, I think if you have like a mind shift and you look at it, and maybe this is just because I eat, live and breathe anxiety. So, you know, I have anxiety, my kids have anxiety and I have a practice that's anxiety. I have a podcast on anxiety. So maybe I'm a little bit skewed, but I kind of feel like it's not, particularly about the diagnosis, it's empowering your kids, no matter what, to lean into their fears instead of avoid it. Mm. So I think if you have that mind shift, of, it doesn't really technically matter about a diagnosis. And, you know, you can play it by ear whether you need a professional. But if you just have that framework of when I see my kids avoiding or being fearful, I'm going to empower them. And I start with my kids out of the womb because I know what's going to be happening So even with my youngest, who's six now, from the very, very beginning, we did brave face, brave pose. We talked about, you know, beating our worries and our worries are lying to us. What can we do to move forward instead of away from it? And so that was just language I used with her from the get go, whether she was going to have anxiety or not. And it's not throwing them out there, you know, like throwing them into the pool and hoping that they're going to swim. It's like empowering them, like you've got this and getting them to do one little tiny step. So it doesn't have to be the whole thing. I'm very big on just small little bite-sized steps that lead to big change. And so you celebrate any little thing. So if they're afraid to go to school and they get out of the car, you know, wow, you were so brave. I know that was so scary for you. Or they ate a new food that they normally wouldn't eat. Wow, I know that looked really gross, but it tastes delicious. And so that was awesome that you went ahead and you tried it. Like we can praise our kids and empower them with or without a diagnosis. And when you see it moving in the direction of diagnosis, what 
how do you advise parents then? When would you say this this is the sign that I should engage a therapist? And as I'm talking with that therapist, these are some things I should be thinking about as we make decisions about medication or more intense therapy. Uh, you know, I think, and again, this could be my bias, but I think you don't have to wait to go see a therapist. Like mm-hmm. if you need the extra support, Listen, we're it's biased okay. here too. We love therapy. We love show. therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know I'm a therapist, but honestly, if I wasn't a therapist, like my kids are in therapy because I'm their mom, you know, and I just sign them up. So they have a warm, fuzzy place to go. Like, so I don't want parents to think that going to a therapist means, oh gosh, we just hit a point right. where right. it's bad. Um, I know sometimes, sometimes partners will see it that way. You know, you can have one person who's like gung ho and is like, hey, this is just like life coaching. It's not a big right. deal. And the, the partner will be like, there's nothing wrong with my kid. So sometimes that's the barrier. But be proactive. If you feel like you need the support and you don't know what you're doing, you can go see a therapist and have no diagnosis and just mild concerns. In fact, I love those people because proactively I could really help them. Right. But if you're, if you're not like that, um, but you're feeling like you're sinking, then that's the time to reach out to a therapist when it's impeding their social and emotional growth. And that's a time where it's really not, shouldn't really be an option. It should be something that you really want to put as a front burner decision, because if they are starting to refuse to go to school, slippery slope, that's going to go downhill really fast. If they're not eating, these are really big concerns. Um, sleeping is one of those things that impact a lot of kids. So it's, it's a red flag, but it's certainly not, um, a hot red flag. (laughs) I don't know if you could say that, but it's not like the biggest red flag and, um, avoiding social interaction, you know, or wanting to go out, you know, I don't want to go outside because blah, blah, blah will happen, you know? So if you're seeing it across the board, therapy should, should be pursued. And then even when you pursue a therapist, it doesn't mean you're going right to medication because, Therapists don't typically prescribe medication. And that's something that a lot of families don't know when they come to see me. And I'm trying to think of all the barriers and things that parents say to me in my first session. So one is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we're at this point. So that's the whole non-proactive response. And two, you're not gonna medicate, you're not gonna medicate my kid, are you? And one, no, because I don't prescribe medication. <laughs> but two, even if I did. There are so many things to try before you get to the medication. So medication, if you haven't done therapy, you know, a good therapist will roll up their sleeves and really try to do some cognitive behavioral therapy before you move to medication. There's a process. But if your child is on fire and they are not eating, they're not going to school, there is some health issues going on um, or life, life crises going on, then medication might be considered right away. But typically I would have to say, we try a lot of other things before we say, oh, you know, we need a little extra help here. Well, and I think that there's such a perspective about therapy that it's like, like you said, like there needs to be some sort of behavior presenting. But like I took both of my boys to therapy because we had a bunch of change in our life. We moved to a new house. You know, we have a new little brother. He's not that new. He's three years old. But you know what I mean? <laughs> and I thought like our, our dog, a long time dog passed away. We got a new puppy. And I just thought like, that's a lot. That's a lot for them. To process. I like to go to therapy when there's big changes in my life. And so might they. So I think, I mean, I think you could also just switch to think about like what's going on around them. It doesn't have to be about is quote, like you said, is there something wrong with them? Like they could just be like, is there a lot going on that they could use another place to process that? So it's not all on 
their primary caregivers to help them deal with it because that's a lot. You know, it takes a village and sometimes that village has a therapist in it. Yeah. And you can phrase it that way too for your kids. You know, you can say, you know, I need help helping you. So we need to go to see a therapist so that I can be a better mom to you in, in helping you with your worries. So it's, it's the child doesn't feel like stigmatized. Well, here's my other question too. You know, I always think about the fact that, um, exhaustion, like you were talking about sleep, exhaustion in kids presents very differently than it does in adults. Like, I think people think, well, if my kid's tired, they're going to just be lethargic. Well, that's not necessarily sometimes when kids are tired, it presents as hyperactivity. And that's a really hard thing. I think for people to, well, he just won't go to bed. Well, that doesn't mean he's not tired. Like, <laughs> as I right. um, are there any things like that with anxiety and OCD that you think people have a very sort of adult driven ideas about how it presents, but it presents very differently in children? Yeah, that's such a good question because more often than not, it presents completely different. And I think that's why it's missed. Now you have your typical, I mean, there are kids who will present like maybe an adult with anxiety, but more often than not, it comes out as difficult behavior. And especially if I was to like stereotype, I'd say, especially in boys, but but in girls as well. So they they look, um, they're melting down, like for what seems like no reason. Um, they you have to walk on eggshells with them. They seem really difficult. They might even seem kind of entitled because they want things done in a very particular way. And they they can even seem oppositional because they're gonna refuse to do things because for them, they're seeing sharks, and for you, you're seeing kind of an entitled kid. So you always want to look behind behavior and say, what's going on? No matter what, whether it's anxiety or ADHD or anything, um, you want to look at what's going on because I'll give you a story real quick. Like when my couple of years ago, maybe, maybe a year ago, I had my son who is eight now. So he's probably about six or seven at the time. He like, they had one chore, one chore to do per week. And he just had to go around and get like little trash bags out of like the different rooms. And he was freaking out about it. And he was like screaming, no, I'm not going to go. I don't want to do it. And on the surface, he looked bratty. He looked like he was being just a difficult kid. And I went into mama gazilla mode for a minute. And I was like, seriously, you have one chore to do. You know, kids have chores every day. And then I stopped for a second for some reason. And I was having a good Zen moment. And I said, what's the worst part about taking the trash out? Like I just paused for a second. I don't always do that, but luckily I did that that day. And he looked at me like a deer caught in headlights and he said, well, it's dark in the rooms and somebody could pop out and I'm afraid. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was an anxiety thing. And so my approach at that point was completely different than what it would have been if it was just my kid who didn't want to do a chore. You know, so then I empowered him. We talked about he was scared about we worked on it. We created a challenge and then he was fine, but I would have handled it completely different. And that's just a really good example of what anxiety can look like where you would completely miss it. I don't almost the exact same scenario with my child who my oldest son who I expected to take the dog out and it was dark and he just was like oh I don't want to and I'm like oh my god just take the dog it's not hard and then he came in and confessed that he had been on YouTube when he was not supposed to and saw a scary <laughs> commercial and he was scared of the dark. Now Right after um, I did hug him and encourage him right after I shamed him for being on YouTube because I told you not to be on YouTube because there are scary things on YouTube. You need to trust me about these things. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it was exact. He, at first he was just like, it was, it presented like, I, I perceived it definitely. It's just him just whining. Cause he didn't want to do it. And then it came out that he didn't want to go out in the dark. He was scared. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good I mean, question I I to have it. in your pocket. What's the worst part about this? That's a really good one. I was just thinking yeah. the same thing. I'm so grateful for that question because my girls are so inconsistent in their behaviors. They're eight and three. And sometimes I'll say, hey, take this up to your room. And they'll say, I'm scared. I don't want to go upstairs by myself. And other times we launch into the house and they say, can I go play in my room by myself? And so I never know how to take those comments. And that question, I think, would be a really would be a much more constructive way for me to respond than the way that I typically do, which is you are not scared. Take it up to your room now. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I do have a question about that. because I struggle with my three year old because he'll say it's scary. And I I don't think he's actually scared. I think he's trying to communicate. Do you have any good tools to sort of piece out when they when they just open up and immediately go to I'm scared, but you're trying to. You don't really think it's like a fear, fear. It's a trepidation, but you're trying to figure out why. Is, is there any good questions you have to sort of piece that apart when you when it's a younger one that's difficult, that's hard at communicating? You know, I I think you can still ask it. You can ask that question, but I, for a three year old, I'd probably say, "What's the scariest part about it?" Because it's really weird and it's total semantics. So this is going to sound like not like a great tip, but when you say, "What's scary about it?" versus "What's the scariest?" thing about it, kids will, will answer the second question 10 times more than they will the first. Cause the first one, for some reason, sounds a little judgmental. Like, well, what's scary about it? Oh, so, I see what right? you're saying. So kids will be like, well, nothing, fine, forget it. You know, even a toddler will pick up on that. But when you say, what's the scariest thing about it? Now you're like, you're almost like immediately validating it. And so they feel like, yeah, you get it right. It's totally scary. And then they'll tell you now a toddler won't they won't create something. So if you said to your toddler, what's the scariest part about it? And they're really not scared. They're not going to have anything to say. So they'll say something silly or they won't say anything. And then, you know, there's really no meat behind those words. Um, and even older kids, if you said, what's the worst part about it? They're not savvy enough to come up with a great response. That's going to like emulate, well, not emulate, but show you it's anxiety. That always so. kills me when people, people think that even like upper elementary school kids are capable of this really intense level of manipulation. And I'm like, yeah. are, like, I love my kids. I think they're smart, but y'all are giving them way too much credit for their level of emotional like manipulation. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I think kids might say they're scared, but if you said what's, what's the scariest part about it or what's the worst part about it, they're not, they're not going to manipulate you at that point and be like, let me think of like the worst thing that my mom mm -hmm. would say. Mm -hmm. If you are a parent who struggles with being anxious and you have an anxious kid, how do you deal with what I can imagine can sometimes feel like a, a storm gathering? Yeah, it's hard because anxiety I was just going to say, hey, we just live in an anxious world. Do you have any advice for all, all of us? <laughs> 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 Not just if you're when you're like if you're an anxious adult and I just wanted to be like, are, are we all? anxious right now. I just feel like everybody's a little anxiety ridden right now. <laughs> well, I think there is a lot to be anxious about, but, and then if you have an anxiety, like if you're predisposed to anxiety on top of it, gosh, you know, it's like mm -hmm. thunderstorm. And then if you have, you pop out an anxious kid, which, which genetically you have a high, there's a high predisposition to have uh, an anxious kid. If there's anxiety in your family, so genetic. Um, so that's going to happen more often than it's not that one of the parents is going to have some sort of anxiety, not always, but sometimes, 
And that's hard. I know as my anxiety is totally in check um, for the most part, unless something I hit a bump, but being an anxious mom, I can even speak on that level. When you have an anxious kid, you get anxious about their anxiety. <laughs> oh, so, I could totally see that. Yeah. So you're like, you're anxious about their anxiousness and it feeds off of each other. And I work with a lot of parents in my practice where this is a huge problem because an anxious kid needs an anchor. They need a calm in the storm. They need someone who's a rock to kind of tether them in their storm. And when you have your own anxiety, that's twice as hard because you have to pretend like you're okay so that you can not, like anxiety is contagious. So if I am a mom and I have anxiety and my child's having anxiety, which is increasing my anxiety, I have to fake it till I make it, which is a, is a double layer. I mean, it's super hard to do, but important to do because you want to be that rock for your kid in the moment. So, like I said, I feel like it's just an anxiety time for an anxious time. There's lots of anxiety in our world. What do you feel like is the either the sort of best beyond therapy, the best tool or what's your best anxiety hack for all of us, whether we're kids or adults or with where we see ourselves as anxious people or we're just having an anxious season in our life? Anxiety comes from living in the past or living in the future. And so if you're finding that you're anxious during the day, you're not living in the moment, most likely, unless you're getting just horrific news, but more likely than not, you're living in the past or you're living in the future. And so I think the best anxiety hack is to say what's happening right now and focus on what's happening right now and what's going good right now in my life. And there's always something you can find and then anchor yourself to that because that's very stabilizing. I have a friend who says you should always go outside and walk barefoot in the grass. Like that's a really there good you way go. to anchor yourself <laughs> right in this moment. Stand in the yeah. grass. Do it. That'll be helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's that's really great advice. Can you tell people where all they can find you? You have a plethora of resources available <laughs> for families. So help help people know how to. Where would you start getting into your stuff if you were a new team? <laughs> my my home is anxious toddlers to teens.com. Um, you can find my podcast, the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where um, once a week I will be talking about all this kind of stuff. I have a kids YouTube channel, which is youtube.com C forward slash anxious toddler 78. But you can find that on my website. <laughs> it's not a very pretty, pretty URL. Um, and I have tons of articles because I used to just write articles. So on my website, you'll find tons of articles. Um, now I just do my podcast and I do a kids YouTube video. All right. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for having me on. I really love talking to you guys. I feel less anxious. How about you, Beth? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that I have a lot of anxiety going on in my life, but I do worry sometimes about one of my girls. And that question, that's really going to stick with me just as a Mm -hmm. non-judgmental, curious, not projecting anything on her, you know, just tell me what's happening with you kind of question. So thank you very much. That was super helpful. Thanks to Natasha Daniel. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. For joining us, we will end as always with something to keep you inspired. This was sent to us by Lisa, and I actually read this to my husband as we started out a hike we did this weekend through the Appalachian Trail and in the Smoky Mountains. It's called The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars, waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and am free. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with you on Pantsy Politics on Friday and Tuesday, right here again next Wednesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Nuance Life is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. The Nuance Life is listener supported. For $5 a month, you'll receive an extra episode of The Nuance Life at patreon.com slash The Nuance Life. You can connect with us on our website, thenuancelife.com, and follow us on Instagram.